All right, and welcome back, everyone. This is the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. We're back this September with season four of the podcast, and I'm going to turn it over to Joe Boot. You all know him well. He's the founder and president of the Ezra Institute. Joe's going to tell you a little bit about uh, what we've got planned and some of the formatting that we've uh, we've worked out for this new season. Joe, over to you. Thanks, Ryan. It's good to be back, and uh, by popular demand, we're uh, wanting to do a little bit more in the way of podcasts uh, in the coming months. Uh, there's a lot of demand for uh, thoughtful engagement with the issues. And so this new series of podcasts of our uh, podcast for cultural reformation uh, are going to be Worldview Wednesdays, where we're going to be analyzing and looking at the issues facing the church, and especially the issues that come up in the headlines, either in um, the media or in some of the Christian media. Uh, so that we can wrestle with these things from a distinctly Christian and scriptural standpoint. So we're looking forward to doing that. And uh, today, obviously, the major topical discussion of the of the moment remains the uh, lockdowns, uh, the restrictions on the churches, and uh, the uh, number of civil liberties uh, violations that people are enduring at the present time. And in the UK, for example... Uh, uh, effectively a new, they're not calling it this, but uh, effectively a new lockdown comes into play on Monday. That's right. Gatherings limited to six people and so on. And so uh, we want to talk a little bit about that and what lies behind it. What are the implications of this? How are Christians responding? How is the church responding overall to things like bans on singing and communion in various places? As I was um, thinking about this first in our new series of Worldview Wednesdays, uh, I was looking at an article from 1958. Thought we were doing current events. Exactly. And so I was looking for a prophetic article, Ryan, <laughs> <laughs> that would uh, perhaps, um, you know, it was uh, Clive Staples Lewis who said, uh, advised people to let the clear sea breeze of the centuries blow through their minds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because uh, we don't recognize the characteristic blindness of our own age. So if you read old books, he said, it helps the centuries blow through your mind uh, so that you can avoid the characteristic blindness of your own age. And I think actually 60 years on or so here from when C.S. Lewis uh, wrote this particular article, I'm going to quote for you from The Observer, July 20th. It was called Willing Slaves of the Welfare State in which Lewis looks ahead to the what he saw coming uh, in the West and um, a for him, a, a terrifying bureaucratic scientific technocracy. This is Clive Staples Lewis, an English Anglican. Wow, who'd have thought that? Sounds relevant. Uh, but, absolutely. Uh, that's a pretty, pretty punchy headline. Let me give you two uh, citations from this article before um, I hand back to you to lead us into our discussion today, Ryan. He says, now I care far more how humanity lives than how long. Progress, for me, means increasing goodness and happiness of individual lives, for the species as for each man. Mere longevity seems to me a contemptible ideal. And as I think about the response to uh, this latest coronavirus uh, that's been circulating, it seems the obsession has been with... uh, how not how people live, but how long uh, everyone uh, gets to live, which I thought was fascinating. And that leads into uh, something that he says in his 
uh, conclusion at the end of the article. He says, let us not be deceived by phrases about man taking charge of his own destiny. All that can really happen is that some men will take charge of the destiny of others. The more completely we are planned, the more powerful they will be. Have we discovered some new reason why this time power should not corrupt as it has done before? Question mark. What a fantastic <laughs> question to end uh, an article in The Observer in 1958. And I thought the potency and relevance of this article, which was sent to me by a friend of mine uh, this past week, I thought would be uh, appropriate for our discussion today. We, we could almost cut right there. Like <laughs> this is the uh, Nathan just dropped the mic. Oh, <laughs> this is the direction that we're that we're going to be headed. Anybody who's who's listened to the podcast before shouldn't be surprised to hear a a throaty amen to to the words of Lewis that you just read. But yeah, thanks for kicking us off with that. So on our uh, on our podcast today, uh, we've got to we've got Joe, who you know, uh, you've heard from me every week, and I've also got with us a, uh, a new team member here. Nathan Oblak is uh, the relationship manager at the Ezra Institute. He's just recently joined the team. We are really pumped to have him. We, uh, we poached him away from his, uh, his previous work teaching school. And uh, Nathan was a, a, a delegate at the, the inaugural Runner Academy that we held last year. And yeah, from there we've uh, we've kept in touch, built up a relationship, and he's uh, he's stepped into this role, and we're really glad to have you here. So, uh, welcome to the institute, and and welcome to the show, Nate. Great, thank you for that introduction, Ryan. And it's uh, it's great to be here and part of this podcast. I've been a fan of the ministry for a long time now, and to be a member of the Ezra Institute team is a, a privilege and an opportunity that uh, I'd been excited about, and and really excited to be part of this podcast. Yeah, well, welcome to it. Okay, so Joe, you mentioned uh, Worldview Wednesdays. That's going to commit us to a uh, a pretty regular schedule. So I hope we can uh, we can get to it. We're also going to be a little bit more uh, on point. Like I said, we've got some uh, some headlines here, some recent news that uh, that we want to talk about and sort of uh, yeah look at uh, look at what's going on in the world and what's going on in the media from a distinctly Christian thoroughly reformational uh, kingdom of God perspective. I think that's fair to say. Yes. So I'm, I'm not sure all, the, uh, all of the articles that, uh, that you guys have sort of got in readiness today, but here's something that, uh, that I came across uh, from the Seattle Times earlier this week. Seattle's where uh, you know, a, lot of the, a lot of the unrest and uh, protests and riots have happened in the States. Chop. Chop, that's right. And uh, here, here's something a, a little different. This, uh, this happened uh, last week and early this week. Uh, he writes that a, uh, a Christian worship leader and a musician, uh, Sean Foyked, had planned a worship rally at, uh, at the Gasworks Park in Seattle on Labor Day. Uh, but the governor's office uh, said that, uh, not, not directly in response to that, but sort of pretty clearly uh, right after that <laughs> that gathering, that rally was announced, they, they announced that, oh, we're actually going to uh, close the uh, close all public parks uh, early that day. 
and uh, you know, the uh, the cited reason was you know, concerns over lack of social distancing, everything that we've heard about. And I just uh, just re- read a couple of a uh, couple of lines from from this article from the Seattle Times. The governor Jay Inslee's office after the rally confirmed that this event had violated governor's orders on gathering, including gathering for religious services during a pandemic, but. The Seattle Police Department said that they will not be enforcing COVID-19 orders. The department planned to focus on public education rather than citations. He also says that uh, Seattle Parks and Rec... Oh, I read that already. It didn't specifically cite uh, this event as the reason for the closure, but uh, it did issue a statement saying that the parks would be closed. And this is... uh, This is just... This is interesting for a couple of reasons. Um, partly because the uh, we're we're seeing we're seeing churches and ministry leaders and parachurch ministries and anyone else who's who wants to be involved in Christian worship. We're hear, hearing this phrase that oh we we're being forced to get creative with uh, with how we how we do worship how we. Uh, do church and what that looks like, and I just uh, I just thought I'd share that with you guys. That uh, on the one hand we've got we've got protests that are that are sort of passively encouraged. Uh, see, it seems to be, and then we've also got um, events like a a worship sing along or a, an open air preaching that's uh, that's being more uh, more heavily resisted. I guess is the uh, the diplomatic way to put it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's certainly the case that um, when you look around the the headlines over the past uh, week or so, um, you know there are of course um, apologists out there within the Christian community for lockdown, uh, for restrictions on worship, for not opening the churches, for not singing, not uh, uh, taking communion. Incredible arguments, actually, just stu- mind-boggling stuff from the evangelical community that you would never have imagined hearing. Um, whilst these m- incredible inconsistencies, because one of the arguments they make is, well, we're being treated no differently to you know cinemas and restaurants and so forth. So, first question that comes up there then is, is the church equivalent? Is the Church of Jesus Christ the equivalent of a cinema, a restaurant, or an entertainment venue? is do can we really draw an equivalence between what is happening in the public act of worship and what God require, requires of us there and what's taking place in a cinema or in a restaurant? And uh, that has to be scrutinized straight away because in a certain sense, it shows the level to which many Christians have reduced their faith. It's entertainment. It's leisure. It's, it's on that level. Uh, the church is not seen as a government. Church discipline is not seen as central. Communion, baptism, these things seem almost peripheral. I was talking with um, uh, a pastor recently who was on a call with some 160 other movement leaders across North America, and they were getting a seminar on virtual church and how to do a baptism using an avatar. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I thought he was... We're through the looking glass. <laughs> I mean, I thought he was messing around. Um so you have actually you have Christians professing evangelicals who d- defend these sorts of things, while at the same time you've got BLM protests, you've got uh, extinction rebellion in Britain, 
and others that where a blind eye is turned, where those sorts of protests are fine, um, and but where Christian worship um, must be sanctioned um, and restricted. So the notion that there is some kind of even-handedness here uh, as we look at the global picture is certainly not true. And the way that we, we've been exposed uh, to a large degree in terms of our perception of what's really happening uh, when we gather for worship and what the Church of Jesus Christ really is um, has been um, frightening in the way the mask has been torn, torn off. The, the toothpaste is really out of the tube here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and just to add to that point, Joe, I think the really concerning thing here is that narrative is being largely spread by Christian churches and, and, and Christian leaders. Um, I, I'm just looking at uh, Al Mohler's podcast from uh, Monday, August 3rd, and I'll quote him here. Uh, but he says in his podcast that Christian leaders should respect all temporary, neutral, and generally applicable guidelines that are handed down by appropriate government and health officials. So we, we clearly see there that he's um, appealing to uh, an understanding that uh, there's neutrality here, that the government is restricting, is, is uh, employing restrictions that are somehow neutral um, across the board, um, where I think if we take a really critical look at what's going on, um, it's easy to see that uh, the church is in many ways uh, being targeted. Um, I mean, the obvious example that we could think to is John MacArthur and what's going on at Grace Community Church. Um, you know, he is a Christian leader uh, that has said no. Uh, he's come out and said, uh, no, I'm not going to abide by these regulations because the church is more than entertainment. There is a requirement to gather, and we're not going to abide by it. And we've seen the response from L.A. County officials, California state officials, um, continually pushing back and and not... Well, one, one thing that... Uh, I don't know if you saw this, but if, mm. a few weeks ago... Um, uh, MacArthur opened his service after after this uh, uh, ongoing legal battle had begun, but he uh, he gets up and he says, "Welcome to the Grace Community Church peaceful protest." <laughs> <laughs> mm, that's right, that's right. Yeah, but this uh, the, it, it also prompts us to prompts me to think uh, this article here and that uh, sort of pretty uh, pretty good quip from from MacArthur. But what? Is, is the, so the church and church leaders are being sort of clever in uh, in spinning their their worship services this way. But Joe, you pointed out at the very beginning of this uh, this discussion, the church is not a uh, hmm. you know a cinema. It's not a, a restaurant. It's not a, a roller rink. It's not a protest. Um, is this uh, like so? We can on the one hand, we there. Are, cases where you can you can use that that kind of language or make jokes about that but is this what 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 is the church uh and how how should we think about the church being the church in the midst of lockdown we're going to take a quick break nate has an announcement about an upcoming program for you great thanks ryan so if you're a business leader entrepreneur or otherwise connected to that area of life 
We'd like to invite you to join us at the Ezra Farmstead here in Grimsby, Ontario on October 19th to the 21st for our Worldview in the Marketplace program. Come and discover a deeper appreciation of the Lordship of Christ over the sphere of business and economics. Connect with like-minded Christian professionals and learn from theologians, philosophers, and business leaders how freedom in Christ influences the world of work. Find more information on this and other programs at ezrainstitute.ca. Ezra Institute, informing faith, reforming culture. Great. Thanks, Nate. Back to the show. Well, I think uh, it's interesting to uh, look back now to the beginning of all of this back in March. Um, so we'll come because we'll circle back to the to the definition you're looking yeah, for. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and 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 see that uh, many churches said, "Okay, there's an unknown situation here. Um, let's uh, we will we will." Uh, trust at this point that government officials are trying to manage an unpredictable situation. And we were told in Canada, for example, a couple of weeks uh, for things to... Um, to flatten the to, curve. To flatten the 15 curve. days. 15 mm-hmm. days, right? Six months later, <laughs> and uh, we are with... with I mean... <laughs> I mean, we we could talk about how the modeling has been out by a factor of 10 to 15. Right. Mm. Depending yeah. on which yeah. country you're in. Mm-hmm. We could talk yeah. about that's the... That's factors. That's the, li- the little exponential numbers. Right. Like that's, we, mm-hmm. we, 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 could, we could look at uh, the declining uh, hospitalizations and, and death rates, which have flattened out. Uh, and maybe we'll come back to a few more comments on the, on, on the situation. For example, in, in Europe... Um, the excess deaths for the winter season in 2018, which was not a r- bad year, were 140,000. Um, the the COVID for the winter season gave us 180,000 excess deaths for 2020. So uh, we are not dealing with the plague here. And six months on, we've still got churches who are saying we're not opening till next year, or they haven't opened at all, or... Uh, uh, or they're saying that we need to abide by every mayor, every bureaucrat, every uh, uh, official who has an opinion uh, on this matter. And I think we have to, as we answer the question, what is the church? We have to look back and say, well, what was the church doing in times of plague in the early church? Yeah. Well, we know what they were doing. They were going into the city where everybody else was fleeing, and there they were worshiping and ministering to the sick. And... Uh, caring for those who were um, uh, destitute, um, caring for the poor. That has been the historic witness of the church in times of plague. Um, We've never fled. We've never run away. um, uh, And we've certainly never, for any extended period of time, allowed ourselves to be locked down. And uh, there's a reason for that, and that is that the Church of Jesus Christ uh, from the very time of the, we read in the New Testament where the disciples would be gathering first on the Jewish Sabbath and then on the first day of the week, uh, weekly. Um, the idea that we need to be confused about how many times Christians are supposed to meet after 2,000 years of church history meeting on a Sunday morning, beggars yeah. belief <laughs> that we are listening to evangelical leaders express that they're unsure about the regularity of church meeting it's called the sabbath everyone it's right there in the ten commandments actually it goes back it's a creational 
mandate. The Sabbath was made for man. Jesus said, not man for the Sabbath. We're not Sabbatarian in the sense that we uh, can't fix our car on a Sunday afternoon or go bowling with our kids or whatever. At least that's not my perspective. I'm not a Sabbatarian in that sense. But this is God's pattern. And the church has always worshipped on the first day of the week. This has been centuries of practice. And now we've got evangelicals who think the truth or wisdom was somehow born with them during a pandemic, and that now that is somehow up for grabs with the, 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 the regularity of our meeting together and our communion together. I mean, what's next? Well, we only have to preach the gospel maybe once every couple of years. Uh, you know, there's, the Bible doesn't say how frequently we need to share the gospel. So, you it doesn't know. doesn't say how long we're supposed uh, yeah. to preach. How long mm-hmm. we're supposed to preach for. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's just incredible that these kinds of questions are coming up. The the the, the scriptures are plain. The 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 church is pillar and support of the truth. Mm-hmm. Well, in part, uh, sorry sorry to interject there, Joe, but just just to add to that point is uh, I mean, part part of the rhetoric is that uh, we're meeting on Zoom, right? So we're fulfilling that need for the church and the frequency of the church to meet, because even though uh, here in Ontario, we're able to gather 30% of our building capacity at a time, the other 70% are able to watch on Zoom. So we are we are meeting that biblical mandate. That's part of the rhetoric you hear out there. Um, Do you think pastors would have said that if most of their congregation were watching them on Zoom or on TV the year before the pandemic, and three people showed up to actually worship, pray, hear the word of God in person. Everybody else was at home and we'd all, all the pastors would have been, this is great. Everybody said, so don't worry. There's, there's nobody here, but they're all watching at home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah how how mm-hmm. convenient. You save a fortune on your after church cookie and coffee budget. <laughs> <laughs> no flowers required. <laughs> Perhaps that's part of the agenda. That's got to be it. That's got to be it. You know, I we mean, got to cr- cut $200 a year here. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you, and the thing is, if we didn't laugh, you'd cry, wouldn't you? I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. it's unbelievable mm-hmm. that you've seriously got, you'd seriously have people arguing for avatar baptisms. How can you have a virtual communion or a virtual, this is the, this is the invasion in the church of Gnosticism, of a contemporary form of Gnosticism that fundamentally de- denies an incarnational theology, mm-hmm. denies the body, mm-hmm. denies the importance of physical... You think about all of the commands about um, uh, gathering together, mm-hmm. psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, mm-hmm. greeting one another with a holy kiss, mm-hmm. sharing at the Lord's table together, coming together for our feasts, uh, and on and on and on, mm-hmm. um, as though... In the Holy any Spirit way, being present when believers gather, right? Yeah. When mm-hmm. to, when we're actually gathered together mm-hmm. in His name, there He is in the mm-hmm. midst. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it a blessing that uh, shut-ins, people who are ill or sick, are able to at least listen to a sermon um, online uh, if they can't actually be with God's people for worship? Of course, that's a blessing. Is that a substitute? Is for meeting normative? in person mm. is that is that exactly is that great word uh ryan one of our favorites at the ezra institute Thank is you. that normative <laughs> or is that anti-normative and it's clearly anti-normative and the fact that we're dealing with pastors and leaders six months later who still seem to uh be satisfied with this situation also have some blind trust in in a modern technocracy beggars belief 
and I think it would be unrecognizable by the, both the reformers and historic evangelicals. Well, and then I think something that has been uh, concerning to us here at the Ezra Institute is that uh, we have so many church leaders pushing back against everything you've just uh, extrapolated there. Um, and I'm looking at an article uh, written by uh, Pastor Paul Carter, uh, who writes for the Gospel Coalition Canada. And uh, I'm just going to quote part of that article um, and, and just get your guys' take on it. Um, but he says, um, what we're dealing with now is essentially a temporary reduction in our building capacity. We used to be able to host approximately 650 people in our sanctuary. Currently, we are limited to approximately 238. That is inconvenient to be sure, but it isn't persecution, and it doesn't force us into a position of disobedience with respect to the commandments of the Lord. The Bible doesn't say how often we should meet. It just says that we should not neglect whatever meetings that we have. Thank you, Bishop Carter. <laughs> <laughs> so the the one thing about this, and that that's another uh, thing that he mentioned there that we haven't talked about yet, is this idea that we're not per, we're not being persecuted. Well, like okay, we, mm -hmm. we do have a lot of historic hard-won freedoms that we're still enjoying. We should be grateful for that. We should be grateful that we don't live. In, in places where there's more overt persecution. Absolutely. Sure. But the, the, the implication there, or the subtext there, seems to be that, you know, we're going to go along and we're just going to, like, what, what, happens, what happens if persecution amps up? What happens, you know, are we assuming that we'll go back to the way it was before or something like that? Or do we see that is there is there a play here? As Joe read at the beginning, for power, uh, we all we all know that power corrupts. That's that's the tendency that it does. God's the only one who can manage absolute power. But <coughs> do we do we assume that we're we're going to sit here and we're going to be? We don't we don't want persecution. We want to push back before persecution mm -hmm. happens. Mm -hmm. Well, also, I, I think that, um, quite simply, he's wrong uh, on that front. Yeah, um, another point, too. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, this would be point B, um, is that it depends which municipality you're in. It's not just a case for churches that uh, they're limited to 30%. And by the way, why are we even in the churches at 30% capacity? Mm -hmm. Well, it happened to be to do with a campaign that uh, Dr. Aaron Rock and myself led with some 450 or so, 40 or so uh, churches signing in the end. That's right. Um, to uh, reopen Ontario And churches. negotiations that we conducted with government to get the Ontario churches opened. And we were opposed by many leaders, Christian leaders, including evangelicals, on this. Not just resisted, but opposed. I didn't actually remember seeing the Gospel Coalition getting behind that campaign. So Paul Carter's got you know, 30% capacity. I'm really pleased about that. I'm glad that they've benefited from that. But that's because the church didn't just lie down and say, we're going to accept every regulation, we're going to accept every piece of advice of the health, because they didn't, they wanted the churches shut down for months. We were told so right. by the bureaucrats. 
It was because we applied political pressure that we can even meet in those numbers. But there are many areas where mayors in given municipalities still have restrictions on singing or communion uh, or masks and so on, uh, where this, the, this uh, bureaucracy, this technocracy is reaching right into the heart of Christian worship and trying to restrict it uh, without any valid justification. And I think that's worth talking about shortly as well. What is the yes. basis on which the spheres of church and state touch one another? But let me come back to something that C.S. Lewis said in The Observer Terrific. in 1958 to, to respond to this. He said, I dread government in the name of science. That is how tyrannies come in. In every age, the men who want us under their thumb, if they have any sense, will put forward the particular pretension which the hopes and fears of that age render most potent. They cash in. In other words, he's saying that um, when we talk about, well, we should obey and submit to, we, we, we're not really under any genuine pressure. It's only 30%. We need to obey these medical regulations and these bureaucrats. This is, Lewis points out, this is the basis on which all tyrannies actually, and persecution, this is how it actually sets in. And they take a, a particular fear that is present at the time. It gets grossly exaggerated which becomes a tremendous means of control. It's potent. And then there is the ability of, of human government, which you rightly point out, is invariably corrupted by influence and power. This is what politicians want, remember. right? In, a, in an age where it is de-Christianized, where we don't govern in terms of principle and the fear of God, what we want is to be voted back into power. And whether it's... Um, the media drumming up fear so that politicians respond to that fear or where it's actors who have a political ideological agenda that they want to see accomplished. The blindness to the threat of tyranny in all of this is astonishing. I wonder what we're going to be saying. I wonder what the same leaders are going to be saying in the winter when Mr. Trudeau presents his new version of Bill C-8, which <laughs> wants to institute criminal penalties at the federal level for all those who seek to give guidance, counsel to uh, to those who within the LGBTQ22SA++ whatever other letters in the alphabet have been we added. We don't have all day. I don't, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't <laughs> want to use up the rest of the time we've got here. Um, who don't endorse and support that. That if somebody would come to you and say, as a pastor, I want to move away from this, we're looking at that being criminalized. It's looking at potential, and we'll, we'll do a show on this, but it's yeah. looking at potentially capturing prayer and even preaching and teaching. So at what point uh, in this sort of technocracy um, will Christian leaders start to recognize that the, the church has to assert for the good of our neighbors, for the good of our, the next generation, for, for the good of God's church, and for the good of all those around us in, in uh, what was ostensibly a free society, the, the historical ignorance on display here in the failure to recognize, and I would recommend that people listen to the most recent interview with um, Lord Sumption in the UK with the Daily Telegraph. I just tweeted about it. It came out a couple of days ago. Former Supreme Court Justice, uh, Oxford professor of medieval history, I believe, for a number of years, and he p points out that this is the way tyrannies are always, always installed, fear, 
a, a, a situation, a problem that's exaggerated, fear is instilled, restrictions come in, um, and he expresses the way he is utterly stunned at the overreach of government. And these, pe- these people are, <laughs> are people who've sat on the Supreme Court benches, and yet we've got evangelical pastors who know next to nothing about juridical procedure, constitutional law, who think there's nothing to see here, like wave everybody past. Uh, it's it is it's mind-boggling. Um, let me read you one other quote from uh, from Lewis because I want to hear what what Nathan has to say uh, uh, on this. Um, he says the new oligarchy. Now he's talking about the the, uh, the what he sees as already being installed in the mid twentieth century a new technocracy. This is what he sees. This is what he's observing. It's in the Observer. Right, it's an article in the Observer. He says the new oligarchy must more and more base its claim to plan us on its claim to knowledge. If we are to be mothered, mother must know best. This means they must increasingly rely on the advice of scientists, till in the end the politicians proper become merely the scientists' puppets. Technocracy is the form to which a planned society must tend. Now, I dread specialists in power because they are specialists speaking outside their special subjects, end quote. And what he's talking about is that when you say, and as we've seen it with our own premier here, and he looks like a member of the Thunderbirds team, like like a puppet <laughs> coming on, and, uh, you know, parroting how he's going to do whatever the specialists say, whatever. Then I wrote an article on the cult of the expert um, yeah, a couple right. of months ago, which I'd recommend people go and read if they haven't seen that yet. Uh, where we have a situation in which our politicians are being led around by the nose by unelected bureaucrats who uh, claim some degree of expertise in highly controversial areas of computer modeling, epidemiology, and so forth, where there's disagreement among scientists across the world. And, And we're told that we are just to sit here as the Church of Jesus Christ and trust whatever these people say. That was the very thing that Lewis said he utterly dreaded, that it was tyrannous, that it is an oligarchy, and that the politicians themselves become puppets in that kind of a technocracy. Now, where is the evangelical mind, is what I want to know today in Canada, even in the United States, to recognize what a Lord Sumption from the Supreme Court and what a C.S. Lewis writing in 1958, far less technocratic than we are today, the internet wasn't even invented, uh, that, that, that we can't see in 2020 in Canada. Yeah, Maybe Joe. Help I, me out with that, Nathan. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting oh, sure. confused here. I, I'm, I'm well, lost. I, I, honestly, I, I think this is the natural consequence of the slow dechristianization of the West, and it's it's seeping into the church. And I think as we continue down this rabbit hole, um, we're going to continually turn to these experts uh, in greater and greater capacity. Um, you well know we all have to serve someone. We're, we're designed as creatures and image, image bearers of God to serve, and when we turn from serving the true and living God, we are going to serve something else, and we are putting our faith 
in these technocrats of which you speak, and it's happening in the church. We see church leaders turning to the authority of medical professionals, of government officials over the Word of God. And you mentioned earlier uh, the numerous passages that refer to the necessity for us to physically gather as believers. And it's amazing to me that we are becoming completely ignorant uh, to those charges uh, so often through the letters of the Apostle Paul. Uh, You mentioned many of them uh, in the book of Hebrews, uh, describing the importance of gathering together, of encouraging one another together in physical worship. And we have state officials telling us that we cannot do that in a way that we are required to, and we seem to be content with that. Uh, We seem to be deferring to their wisdom over the wisdom of Scripture. And it's amazing to me, as this drags on, a lot of these Christian leaders doubling down. Uh, And, I mean, thinking back to um, either what Al Mohler said in his podcast or or Paul Carter mentioned in his article, um, something I'd like to pose to these men is, if these restrictions lasted another five years, are we still content to meet the way we are, uh, are we still going to appeal to well, the Bible this doesn't no- tell us how many times to meet? Nathan. Well, maybe we could do twice in five years. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, we and, and regularly. That's right. <laughs> and we'll do and, it twice the next five years after. Sure. <laughs> well, the, the 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 standard is is gone. There's no breaks. Um, if I if I lead a church, and in my church I decide we're going to meet every two years. I don't see the objection that some of these these leaders uh, have against that kind of notion. We're not required to meet. So I'm being as equally obedient, holding a church service once every two years, as the pastor that's leading their congregation uh, in worship on every single Lord's Day. Certainly would have made Paul's missionary journeys a lot easier if he didn't have to visit the churches quite so regularly. I mean... You know, he could have said, look, I'll see you in five years. Have a couple of meetings between now and then. I mean, you know, if you push the logic of their argument, which is what mm-hmm. you're doing, Nathan, mm-hmm. which is what you have to do, you have to press such an argument to its absurd conclusion. And um, this this desire to fall over to the religion of our age, which I think Lewis absolutely correctly defined, and I've talked about this, as you know, for many years, of statism. We forget now that the modern religion of the era is its political religion and it's of statism. Lewis, in that article, called it omnicompetent global technocracy. Omnicompetent global technocracy. And uh, this is increasingly uh, what we are facing. But if you look at the Church of, of Christ down through the centuries, we mentioned earlier they did, we didn't flee the plagues. We have never tolerated... Uh, th- these measures themselves, the masks, all the social distancing, all of the long-term lockdowns, these are all utterly unprecedented. Utterly unprecedented. And that seems to be lost on people too. There is no historical precedent for these suspensions of civil liberties, not even during the war, the great wars, the, the First and Second World Wars of the 20th century. It's it's all during the Spanish flu or during N1H1, during 58 and 59, 68, 69, uh, the Asian flu, which killed two million globally. There was none of these suspensions of the liberties of people. And it is incredible 
to see Christians who ought to be the champions of freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free, leading in waving the right flag of surrender to technocracy. Mm. Yeah, and that, it's oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Ryan. I was just going to say, Nate and I were talking a little bit about this uh, before the show. Uh, I think it's in that same uh, that same TGC editorial by Paul Carter, where he's uh, he's laying out so, sort of the historical context, and he's saying that. Uh, you know, Paul Paul wrote under the tyranny of Emperor Nero that uh, we were supposed to submit to the governing authorities, and it was like, okay, you, that that's in there, but he also said, as we've mentioned many times, he miss, he or he said many times, don't neglect the gathering together, at a time when leprosy was rampant, at a time as you mentioned, we don't run from the scene of the plague no. christians are there to minister to those who are hurting in the midst of this well in fact in one of my articles during this uh, it was a few months back now ryan which i actually talk about john calvin there talking about the invasion of syphilis and other diseases right um right. uh in the church in his time and him recognizing this as a judgment of god um you look at the ravages of tuberculosis and heart disease, cancer, and all, all of these things which, which, are, which are going on. Um, and uh, the notion that, uh, I mean, what is the Christian response? What is Jesus' response to disease? What is the apostles' response to disease? You, if, if some, is someone among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church, unless you must social distance according to your local authority. Yeah. yeah. And to lay hands, to lay hands on, on the sick and anoint them with oil. That's the commission the church has, the church of Jesus Christ has, in dealing with the sick. When a pastor is forbidden for being at the bedside of a dying person, so, oh, yes, we must obey the technocrats because, you know, we, we must um, uh, uh, be distanced from them. We, how is that pastoral ministry? Now, you rightly point out, um, uh, and I think it's a really good point, Ryan, um, Paul uh, talks about the governing authorities in Romans 13. People frequently, of course, misread the passage. They don't go on to 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 read how the the, the government is, is is ordained by God. So Paul's concern in Romans 13 is not slavish obedience to government. It's about obedience to God. Mm -hmm. It's God's ordinance. God has established authorities, right? So it's God's ordinances that we have to obey. Hence, he goes on to say that the uh, that that governments are his servants his deacons uh and if it's if paul's concerned with obedience to god's ordinances his commands he's concerned that 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 states obey his commands and therefore that they punish evil and reward the good if that starts to go in the opposite direction and the good is being punished um and the evil is being rewarded which is increasingly the case in um, uh, Western society, um, we're confronted with a very significant uh, challenge, um, and uh, we can we could have some, I think, fruitful discussion about uh, the uh, the role of the church and the role of Christians in a in a, a tyrannous context. The the the, the prayer that persecuted Christians are are required to 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 make is for. Uh, governors and kings and officials that uh, we might live lead peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness in other words that we might be left alone to live in freedom which is the fundamental principle of the freedom of the church which was the first truly free institution uh in western civilization 
it, that was birthed into a slave culture where there was no area of freedom outside of the state, the outside of the city state, the polis. If you weren't a citizen, you had you you were, people forget most many many people in the Roman Empire that Paul was dealing with were slaves. Many of the people in the churches were slaves, and there were no free institutions. Um, everything was governed by the at that time, of course, the Caesar cult. And so the church's resistance, martyrdom in the early church, the church gathering together to worship Jesus Christ as king. Just go and look at Acts 17, the accusation that's made against the preaching of the apostles in the first few verses, first 10 verses there, is that they were disobeying the decrees of Caesar by saying that there was another king, Jesus. And the charge was true. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. what they were doing. Guilty. And it was recognized to be a political offense, which is why they hauled them before the council. And we don't recognize, looking back now, that, 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 the, that the persecution of Christians and the martyrdom they inflicted was their political resistance to this kind of tyranny, the kind of tyranny that Nero was engaged in. So um, Paul does not have in mind a slavish submission to evil government. That's and right. that's why there's a whole tradition within the Protestant world, which I wish some of these people would get educated about, uh, which has to do with um, just war and resistance to tyranny. And uh, when is it right to resist government? I mean, the John, John Stott, for example, the, um, the quiet Anglican evangelical, um, who died not that long ago, who said, if the state commands what God forbids, or forbids what God commands, civil disobedience is a Christian duty. And so we can't pit God's ordinances against one another. He says he's established authority. That's his ordinance. We have to recognize it. Uh, but when uh, those ordin but when the commands of the state run against other ordinances of God, uh, then we have to obey God rather than men, just as the apostles said before the Sanhedrin when they were told not to preach. It's passed down as a prophecy Every year about this